You're listening to episode 128 of the Christian Travelers Network. Today's topic is awaiting your next trip based on Exodus 7 through 14. Hi, my name is Sarah and I have a background in theology and a love for travel. Having visited nine different countries and served in five congregations, I wanted to create an environment that discusses and encourages the overlap of my two favorite things, the Lord and travel. And if you have a passion for these things or wanting to learn how God is such an integral part of our daily adventures, then you've come to the right place. Today's topic is awaiting your next trip based on Exodus 7 through 14. Have you ever found yourself incredibly excited for a trip and just like everything in life and on your calendar is truly a countdown for that day? Whether it's something super big like an international vacation, a cruise, a resort, or it's going to see your family on the holidays or getting to see a good college friend or catching up with some buddies after work or even just that weekend getaway, camping, visiting someplace you've never been. I can honestly say more recently it's been family trips where the realization that it's two weeks away means it's all that's on my mind. And when that sort of thing clicks, all I'm thinking about is when do I get off work? When do I pack my bags? How early can we possibly leave and how long can we possibly stay there? It's all that I'm thinking about. And this week, we're going to be talking about Moses leading the people out of Egypt. They've been there for 430 years. As we've learned, they moved there when Joseph was governor under Pharaoh. His family got reunited with him. And then they multiplied. They flourished in Egypt But pharaohs came and went, and the current pharaoh is absolutely refusing to let them go worship out in the wilderness. Worship and praise their lord, and as such, pharaoh keeps hardening his heart, and then the lord ends up hardening it so that more people will come to know and believe that God, our heavenly father, is the only God. And how he's going to do that in these seven chapters is he's going to unleash ten different plagues. And studying this in Sunday school when you were little, you likely never heard this before, but the ten plagues that the Lord unleashed on Egypt actually denounced 10 or so of Egypt's gods. The gods that they were putting their faith and trust in were being knocked off one by one. 
And in so doing, it was further proving that the God of the Israelites was and is the only true God. So we're going to unpack that a little bit further, but let's set the scene. It's been 430 years. Feel like the Lord hasn't been talking to them, that he has forgotten them, and they are crying out and wailing to the Lord. And the Lord calls Moses through a burning bush to come set these people free. Moses arrives, and with the assistance of his brother Aaron, they go to the elders, and they all praise the Lord because God has spoken to Moses. But when Moses goes to Pharaoh, Pharaoh thinks they're being idle, and he makes their work harder. They make bricks with water and mud and form these bricks out of this clay, and they add straw to it to make it more firm. But the but Pharaoh removes the straw, says that they have to go find it themselves, but still expects the same amount of end production. So there's just a lot of agony in the land of Egypt right now, especially for the Israelites. But things are about to change because this long-awaited trip is almost here. I really encourage you to take some time and read Exodus 7 through 14. It's an incredible story and it reveals so many more details. But for the sake of this podcast, we're going to shorten everything down and condense it down pretty much. So in all of these scenarios, Moses and Aaron go up, they approach Pharaoh, and for whatever reason, he objects. In the first five plagues, Pharaoh hardens his own heart. After that, the Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart. And in response to that, a plague happens that affects all of Egypt. The very first one is water from the Nile turning into blood. This caused all of the fish in the Nile to die. But because the magicians, likely practicing some form of demonic art, were able to reenact this and turn water into blood, they really don't take it too seriously. However, the Egyptians observing this would have noted that the Nile River is a large resource for the land of Egypt and a god. Now, I might mispronounce these gods, but... Happy, H-A-P-I, the giver of life and sustenance, would have been the god that would have been represented by the Nile River. And the god of the Israelites just destroyed this god. The second plague was a plague of frogs, which for the Egyptians, Hecht, H-E-Q-T, was the god of childbirth and was represented by a frog to women. But they have an overabundance of frogs, and it's so nasty out there that Pharaoh repents, and he pleads with Moses that Moses would go pray to God and that the, that the frogs would go away on Pharaoh's behalf. But as soon as the frogs are gone, again, Pharaoh hardens his heart. 
The third plague was the plague of gnats. And it wasn't uncommon for gnats to kind of be hanging out along the river in watery areas. But in this instant, they strike the ground with their staff and the dust turns into gnats. This is the first miracle that the magicians of Egypt could not also perform, thereby proving that God of the Israelites was greater. And this would have been the god named Geb, which is the god of the dust of the earth that was therefore dismissed by the Israelites. The fourth plague was the plague of flies. And this was also disgusting because it killed plants and it disfigured people, you know, when they were biting all of their flesh. And so Pharaoh relents. And he says, go ahead, just sacrifice in our land. So you don't actually have to go out and worship your God elsewhere. Sacrifice in Egypt so you don't actually leave. But Moses acknowledges that their form of sacrifice would have been an abomination in the land of Egypt. And the Egyptians would have stoned the people. Now, this likely has to do with... Um, the fact that they sacrifice cows, and cows was very symbolic in the Egyptian land, but for a Hebrew, for the Israelites, the cow is not so symbolic. So, as a result, Moses is like, mm, nice try, but we still can't. We, God wants us to go three days journey and go sacrifice elsewhere. Pharaoh relents and he and says, sure, you can go do it. But as soon as Moses prays and the flies go away, Pharaoh hardens his heart and refuses for them to go. And just to note, this was the first plague that only affected the Egyptians. Up to this point, the, the plagues also affected Israel. This one specifically was the first to just affect the Egyptians. And the god here would have been the god Capri. And it had the head of a beetle and also moved the sun. Now, the fifth plague was against the Egyptian livestock. The Lord kills the livestock of the Egyptians, but not of Israel. And the god in this case was Hathor. This was sometimes seen as a god of fertility. And it was often depicted as the head of a bull with horns. So, in this case, again, God is greater than the God of Hathor. The sixth plague is a plague of boils. Moses and Aaron throw soot into the air, and then they there's boils on everyone's skin and flesh, and it's so bad that the Egyptians' like joints hurt so bad that they couldn't even stand. And this is the god Isis, which is the goddess of health and healing that was being diminished. This is also the first time the Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart because the Lord put Pharaoh in authority in the first place so that he would be the one to help more of the Egyptians see that God is the true God. God does put all leadership and authority in a place for his own 
for a time in a season and he uses them even if they do not believe in who he is. The seventh plague is one that kind of scared scared Pharaoh and made him start to realize that this is far greater than him and this was of hail and this hail included thunder and fire raining from the sky and in this instant Pharaoh admits he sins but he only admits partially. He doesn't fully admit to all of his sins. He's just like, oh, I did a little something wrong. And I think it scares him because anyone outside, any man or beast or plant, was killed from this hailstorm. And the gods that would have been represented in this plague would have been Nut and Shu, Nut being the goddess of the sky and Nut's father, Shu, was the god of wind and air. So the god of the Israelites controls wind, air, and sky. The eighth plague was the plague of locust, and they ate whatever was left of the harvest. And Pharaoh said, go. But he asked which age group was actually like going to go worship. And when Moses said the young, the old, everyone, Pharaoh wasn't all for that. In this instance, Nepper and Nepri were the god and goddess of grain. That was destroyed through the eating of the locust. Then we have the ninth plague. And this one is really interesting to me because the world turned so dark for three days that they didn't even get out of bed. But the Israelites still had light. And the goddess in this situation is Ra, who's the god of the sun. Obviously, again, God of the Israelites wins. And Pharaoh relents a little bit and he's like, you can go worship your God in the wilderness, but leave your flocks. Like he keeps bargaining, saying, you know, I see this. I see what's happening. Clearly your God has authority, but I know if you like totally leave, I'm going to lose all of you. So leave your people or leave your livestock, but that's not what God was asking. So we get to the 10th and final plague, and this is the plague of the firstborn. And this one is over both the Egyptians and the Israelites. And this is where we get the term Passover because the Lord instructed them to have a feast And he gave them certain requirements and he had them prepare certain unleavened bread, bread that didn't rise. So it was ready to go in an instant. It was prepared for their departure out of Egypt that was coming really soon. But they celebrated and one of the things was they had to kill the lamb and put the blood over their doorposts. This was how the Lord would distinguish who believed and who did not. And so if your door did not have the blood on it, then the Lord killed the firstborn in that household. And what do you know? Pharaoh didn't put the blood on his door and his son died. Which if we go back to like chapter 5, Moses already kind of predicts this when he says, Israel is God's firstborn, so let Israel go out and worship God, um, but if you hold God's 
firstborn hostage, you're going to lose your firstborn. In his grief, Pharaoh finally says that they can go with all their things. They plunder Egypt because they demand, you know, jewelry and everything from their Egyptian neighbors, and they head out. In the meantime, Pharaoh regrets his decision, of course, and so he decides to round up his armies and go after them. And Israel is being led by a pillar of fire and a pillar of wind, depending on night or daytime. And they get to the waters and they see this army coming. They're like, we are a crowd of like a million people. How are we going to outrun these Egyptians? We should have just stayed. But God instructs Moses to lift up his hands and the waters part and they literally walk down the middle of the water with the Egyptians on their tail and Moses's arms get tired and so he needs the support of those around him to help hold his arms up and then once they're all across Moses lowers his arms and the waters come crashing down and you can actually find um, pictures and archaeological digs where you can find these chariots trapped in the Red Sea. Just different things related to this story, which is kind of cool. So, 430 years later, the long-awaited trip, the Israelites finally get to go. And looking at this story, there it, it's hard to decide what is some of the most important takeaways to even share with you, but I always again, find it really interesting how one by one, God picked off the different gods of the Egyptians. And I guess I didn't mention the 10th one. That one wasn't necessarily a specific God so much as an act of judgment over all of the gods and Pharaoh, who is also a god. And the fact that the god of the Israelites killed a god's son, Pharaoh's son, just shows how powerful the god of the Israelites is because he is the only true god and these other false idols are not truly a god. So to me that's really interesting and when you look at the fact that Pharaoh and the Egyptians were oppressing them, that they were trying to enforce their beliefs on them, refusing to let them go worship. That the Lord took the time to not just free the Israelites, but to educate the Egyptians as to who God really is, and that he isn't all of these false idols that they were holding so dearly to. While scripture doesn't outright say, I have to believe that some of the Egyptians at least began to have some form of faith in God, or at least some higher respect for him, respect and fear and wonder of him, our one true God. And for the Israelites, things weren't easy. They, they experienced some of these terrible things. And some of them may have even lost their firstborn if they didn't act as they were instructed. 
But yet, after 430 years of waiting, the Lord did fulfill his promise that he would take them back out of Egypt and ultimately will lead them to the promised land. So as a traveler, as someone who sees the world and knows the one true God, you can likely identify that oppression, idols, and just sin in general lie in every corner and every pocket of the world. And we can get deluded or sidetracked or distracted by it. It's in our world and it's hard to ignore. But we can also be the ones to help educate the people around us, just as the Lord educated the Egyptians on who God is. We can use those moments in our life as talking points. We can use them as opportunities to be witnesses, we can use them to reveal who the Lord is and how great his love and mercy is and how much, how far and wide and deep it truly is. And when we build up anticipation for a long-awaited trip, whether to the Bahamas, to visit your family, whatever, Take some time to really thank God that that's even possible. Take some time to acknowledge his handiwork throughout your trip and point him out to others because he's likely acting in their lives too and they might not know it. They might not know that the things that are being defeated around them, the toxic things that our world loves to throw at us are coming down because of God. Or if they're feeling so swamped by those toxic things, they might need help seeing the one true hope and salvation and the way, the truth, and the life, the one way out of here. Would you go ahead and pray with me? Dear Lord, thank you so much for these Christian travelers. Just as you led the Israelites out of Egypt, as you protected them on their way and showed them your path, you too are leading us through this life towards a heavenly home. Lord, please guide them, show them opportunities to be your witness in this world. Reveal to them the false idols and gods that distract them from you. And as you tear them down in our lives, help us to build an everlasting trust and faith and relationship with you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, Christian travelers, thank you so much for tuning in today. I have a closing thought and question, but before I get to that point, I want to once again point you to our website, christiantravelers.net. There you'll find other faith and travel resources. And this is officially your last chance to register for our trip to Punakana. It's a faith-based retreat. 
and I would really love to see you there. More details are on our website. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, three ways that you could really support us. One, by sharing this with a friend. Two, by leaving a review. And three, by subscribing and heading to our website to sign up for our newsletter, which emails you the podcast directly to your inbox each week. So my closing thought and question. The Lord led the Israelites out of Egypt through the Red Sea. In the same way, we are unable to free ourselves of sin. We are unable to avoid all the things that the world throws at us. But Christ promised that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And the trip that all of us are so longing for is getting to see God in heaven, getting to have that deep and intimate connection, getting to see God in heaven, getting to spend time worshiping our Savior. And through our baptism, we have been set free, became children of God. Where are you in your journey towards this everlasting life? What mountains is the Lord helping you conquer right now? Let's celebrate those together. Put those down on paper. Share it with a friend. Send me a message. I would love to hear it. And until next time, safe travels and God bless.